As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg. Tim Britton, the Athletics Mets beat writer, is on vacation this week, filling in for him on the Mets beat. Uh, and on this show today is the Athletics national baseball writer, Rustin Dodd. Rustin, what have you walked into? Um, I've walked into the Mets beat, which is... Uh, <laughs> which is, this is par for the course, I feel, um, you know, maybe, maybe slightly out of, uh, out of normal practice, but it's, this is what you expect when you, when you jump into Tim's shoes and you jump into, uh, jump into the maw. Yeah. Uh, you, you come to expect the, the unexpected Tim and I like joked about what very Metsish thing might happen while he was gone. What I didn't, Imagine was uh, that it, that they would do it so quickly after he went on vacation or that it would be this uh, particular incident, which is uh, now certainly making the rounds. Probably anyone listening to this is already very familiar with the notion that Javi Baez uh, in a, a press session after a big win uh, like in which the Mets offense finally showed up on Sunday and uh, no one was talking about that by a half hour after the game because Baez revealed that the thumbs down celebration the Mets have been doing for a little while now is in fact directed at their own fans uh, to, to boo them back for booing the players. Is this normal? Like, what 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 is happening here? Put put. Give me some context. So I I want I was thinking about this. I, I I've always thought you know just as as writers as journalists you know like the last thing we should do is tell the players what to say right or like we mm-hmm. should we we should never be grading you know like oh they shouldn't say that no they they should say exactly what they want they should say they should be open they should be honest and they should you know that's better for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's always kind of silly when writers like, Oh, that he shouldn't have said that. No, he should, this is, this is great. But I think we can, I think we can all be sort of adults here and, 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 and recognize that I guess the last thing you would ever say is, is what Javi Baez said yesterday, which is why it was almost comical in the sense that 
Um, I believe it was Tim Healy of Newsday asked the first question in the post-game Zoom and asked him, hey, what, what does that mean when you when you putting your thumbs down? And he said, oh, it's it's the fans booing us. And then he sort of explained, you know, you know, they, if they're going to do this, we're going to we're going to do that to show them how it feels. And then and then Tim, I think, was and I don't want to speak for him, but he was a little bit, you know, uh, I think caught off guard that that's that's what Javi said. So he said, you know, just following up. So so that's directed at the fans. And Javi Baez was like, yeah, it, it is. And and like, I I don't know. I almost felt it kind of comical um, and, and, and how matter of fact and how direct he was in, in explaining that, oh, yes, we're, we're booing the fans. Yes, this is what we're doing. Um, and so, I, you know, I think Javi Baez should be should be honest and open. That's my that's my take. But in, in terms of like the list of things you should say, I think Steve Cohen told Joel, Joel Sherman either last night or this morning that he described it as the third rail. And that might be that might be accurate in terms of things that ball players or professional athletes can never say. I think I think Javi Baez violated that code. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you made that point about uh, you know what seems like a like almost censorship, and not not intentionally, but it does seem, and and I think it's something I've I've said before myself. It it seems like especially in New York, the media is apt to take just about anything interesting a baseball player says and turn it against him. And so uh, I agree with you. Like, I'm I'm glad that Javi Baez spoke his truth as well, but it does seem like this is the type of thing that's going to... I mean, it... Yeah, it was amazing how matter-of-fact he was about it, given the commotion that was obviously going to come, and, and now the commotion is here. Sandy Alderson put out a, a long statement about calling it unacceptable. To me... That actually makes matters worse. Uh, am am I wrong to say like that? That Alderson's response really only escalated what might have been just a, a you know a medium level controversy to to bring it up to these like typical Mets levels. Yeah, that's a good question because I can understand the, the desire for um, you know management, whether whoever it is directing Sandy Alderson to make that statement, whether it's himself that feels he needs to, or it comes from ownership, or it comes from essentially management. I, I can understand them wanting to you know put out the fire, so to speak, and and let fans know that hey, you know this player does not speak for the organization, and that you guys, you know we. We we you know we support the paying customer, um, so so I understand that that uh, wh where they're coming from. I mean, you you may be right. You know, I, I think I did I didn't mention this, but just to, to add to the to the comic nature of it is also that Javi Baez has, has been a Met for for three and a half weeks, um, and he's been on the disabled list for more than half that time. Yeah, you know you can understand you know a, a player of you know. You know, if, if David Wright, you know, and I don't think David Wright would ever, you know, would ever said anything necessarily like that or pick your longtime Met who's has a relationship with the fans. Um, and again, maybe this is a horrible comparison because they're not necessarily putting their thumbs down or, or doing anything like that or whatever. But I'm just saying if, if somebody had a little bit more, um, you know, cachet with with the fans, perhaps you can go there. But for a for a guy to speak out like that after three weeks where there really is no, you know, relationship, so to speak, between player and fan base. It just, it felt like one of the all-time misreadings of, 
of a situation. Um, and so it was, um, you know, Hey, it, as you said, Javi Baez can, can say whatever he wants and we'll, and we'll welcome it, but you're obviously, you know, going to have some blowback there. And I thought, you know, just poorly framed, like I, I, there were, there were even probably ways you could admit, like we're doing this as a thing because we're responding to the fact that we get booed without have making it, making it clear that like, oh, we are doing this like directly to combat our most ardent supporters. Yeah. I I mean, I think that, I mean, this is a theory, right? This is, this is no reporting. This is, this is all speculation that this might've been, you know, sort of a, a solidarity kind of symbol that they were, you know, doing, um, you know, in, in to, to support each other and also maybe sort of, sort of a gallows humor kind of that, you know, whatever you want to, call it um that they're doing this to sort of take some pressure off at that point you don't necessarily need to come out and say exactly what it is right i mean again i i know i'm playing both sides against the middle here because i'm i'm saying that players should be honest and they there's some things they shouldn't say but um even if you're if you're doing this this is one of those things where maybe you don't need to be 100 percent honest that you're that the symbol you're doing while you're on the base pass is actually booing your fans and trying to give them a taste of their own medicine. There's a part of me that kind of wants this to catch on. Like, I feel like it, Baez is nearly irredeemable at this point. Not to me. I, like, I still, I mean, the guy had a monster home run in the game. Uh, He is an enormously fun player to watch. I, I like this, uh, to me, and, and like, I'm messed up as a fan because, uh, like, s- spending many years as close to the game as I did, I think it just sort of changes your perspective on certain things. And so, like, I'm trying to understand the uh, the rage that a lot of Mets fans feel toward this guy at this at this juncture. But uh, I still kind of like him, and so like I'm I'm rooting for a bit of redemption. The only way I I could imagine that happening is if the Mets go ahead and win like six or seven straight games right now and, and climb back into the race. Um, and, and I, I could, I don't know. It's, it would be so very much a Mets thing. If it could be like, if it could, if it could turn into like just a heel turn, like just the Mets. Now the Mets exist to antagonize their doubting fans and the doubting fans fill up city field to boo the Mets at every single turn. And like the opponent becomes completely incidental because now the battle for the rest of the season is just the Mets against their own fans. But like everybody's in on the joke. Uh, this is a fantasy world where it's not going to happen. Um, and I don't have a, a real like a question for you about it. This is just what I've been thinking about because again, as I mentioned a lot of times on this show, I am uh, pathetically optimistic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ted, so I, I have a question for you because we've obviously been talking about Javi Baez, but um, one of the other uh, players involved here was Javi Baez's good friend, Francisco Lindor. Um, and unlike Javi Baez, who is a free agent in the offseason, Francisco Lindor is going to be a Met for a, for a decade. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, like, how do you do you feel like this will be uh, a thing that will be easily forgotten and laughed about uh, when Francisco Lindor theoretically regresses to the mean and becomes an all star caliber shortstop in 2022 as he as he might likely become, or, you know, he, he could struggle again as he did this year, but you know, he's got a track record and I think he's going to play better in the future. But do you think this will linger at all with Lindor uh, in New York in any sort of way that, that Baez obviously doesn't have to worry about if he signs somewhere else in 2022? I think it will. I think that it won't for everyone. I mean, I think the, the obvious comp for me is, is Carlos Beltran who, uh, had a also was a, a huge sign. You know, he, he was a free agent signing. They gave him a, a record-breaking contract. He had a, a rough. He actually got off to a nice start in 2005, but everybody kind of forgets that he went into a hole and and never came out and just had a rough season. Um, and early in the 2006 season, he had a a monster home run, uh, and fans were calling for a curtain call. Like and and it it felt like a, a conciliatory gesture um, after fans had gotten on him. Certainly, in, at the end of 2005, and then then all off season, you know, looking at him as a an albatross contract. Remember, they 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 signed him off off his his monster 2004 postseason, and people are saying, "Oh, this is a flash in the pan." Um, even though he had been a, a great player with the Royals, uh, and and uh, fans, so he hits a huge home run. Fans are clamoring for a curtain call, and Beltran didn't want to go out, and and you could see it. It was like they were. It was on the SNY cameras. Julio Franco had to go over and like coax him out of the dugout uh, and he he came out and everybody cheered and and it sort of began patching things but it by no means patched things for Beltran and and he played at a Hall of Fame level for the Mets for for the next 5 years uh he he did have the famous strikeout to end the NLCS in in 2006 he had doubled and scored the only run and walked in that game and he had a huge series but those things are all glossed over um and Beltran became a target of Mets fans for years to come and and it really wasn't until uh like 2011 when which was his the last year of his contract and and after report after report about what a great teammate he'd been, uh, Angel Pagan was a guy he mentored, and Lucas Duda was a guy he mentored, and everybody uh, spoke glowingly about his his clubhouse leadership, as they would later um, when he was with the Astros, and and uh, bringing his his particular uh, his particular wisdom to that team. Um, and only then did it feel like the tide sort of turned. Um, and still there were people who, and still to this day, there are people who, uh, Mets fans who, who never forgave Carlos Beltran just for signing a big contract, not having a good year in his first season, uh, and not swinging at Adam Wainwright's curveball to end the NLCS. And, and Beltran didn't really, you know, other than that, that 
hesitancy to come out for the curtain call, Beltron never did anything to to directly antagonize fans. And uh, to me, Baez's gesture and words read as um, yeah, like you like you suggested, like something he. Uh, is almost doing on behalf of his very good friend, Francisco Lindor. Um, so I do think it will take, I, th- I think fans will get over it. I think the majority of fans will get over it quickly if he's good again. But I think that there will be a very vocal minority of fans who hold this against him literally for the rest of his time in New York. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Javi Baez was was doing this after you know a season in which Lindor has been uh, booed much more than than he has. Obviously, my Mets fans. I mean, Avi Baez has been here for a few weeks, um, and I'm sure it, it doesn't feel great to get booed, particularly when you are fresh, you know, in a new city and, and on a new team. Um, but I, I, I yeah, I, I just don't think it's a coincidence. I, I think that there was, in some ways, that Javi Baez was something to to have his friends back here. Um, you know, I thought um, Tyler Kepner of the New York Times uh, and his PC wrote today about um, uh, the thumbs down gesture. Um, you know, he, he referenced the the rat story about uh, that Francisco Lindor mm-hmm. told in the postgame Zoom after uh, after that incident with Jeff McNeil that, that we couldn't see. Um, but I think, you know, that that was obviously a lot more harmless. Right. I, I mean, it was it, it was a little bit of a strange uh, maneuver on Lindor's part, but it was an attempt at humor that maybe didn't exactly go over perfectly. But, but it, I think it like does suggest that for whatever reason he just has not been comfortable um, all season, and maybe it's just the performance. Maybe when when he starts hitting and performing at up to his ability, he will settle in and, and have a little bit more comfort. But whether it's the booze or just the new team, you can sense that he he's up star player who has not been comfortable in, in his new surroundings. And um, I think you can see these little moments where he just doesn't feel like, uh, or, or doesn't, he, he's trying to be uh, something, whether it's a, a team leader or, you know, a, the leader in the clubhouse or team spokesman or wh- however you want to put it. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's really necessarily come, you know, natural in his first season with the Mets and I and I think you can sense also a little bit of a leadership void in the clubhouse and I'm speaking mostly of of the players because I think that's also just baseball in 2021 where I think oftentimes you know you you want you know a manager who creates a certain chemistry or a certain thing but you know this falls on the players right these are professionals they're adults and I think it starts with kind of leadership among players in the clubhouse and, and the Mets seem like they have had a clubhouse that has not had. Uh, and again, I'm speaking not necessarily as an expert. I, I can't claim to be one. I haven't covered this team every single day, like you know, like many have. So that, that's a caveat that I should say, but it, it does seem that there is like uh, something missing in terms of, of, uh, of a leadership in the clubhouse. And this, this incident sort of falls in line with, with a lot of things we've seen. Yeah, with Lindor, you know, I would say 
it's he's certainly not the first player to come to a new team on a huge new contract and struggle. Uh, I I'm like you. I'm I'm reluctant to chalk up too much to what I don't know. I haven't been around the team at all this year. Um, I don't you know I don't know how the the pressure works on Francisco Lindor, um, but it, his circumstances especially seem like a a, a tough one because uh, he was. The big offseason get, they traded a, a, a couple of a good-looking young players to get him. It seemed like a, a pretty reasonable deal at the time. They they made him they made him the face of the franchise, really, before he ever played a game in, the, in a Mets uniform. Um, and because he was, uh, uh, you know, in, he was invariably going to be associated with the first year of Steve Cohen. Now, for the last decade or two decades, um, the Wilpons were the boogaboo that every Mets fan was certain was was responsible for uh, running the franchise into the ground, and and there was you know certainly some truth to that. Um, but also, I think the Wilpons were were blamed for a lot of things that probably weren't their fault. And so um, to a lot of Mets fans, it was like, okay, the Steve Cohen era is here. Uh, everything's going to be different now. You know, we're going to be the the Dodgers East, like they say. Uh, and and here, you know, as the symbol of this this turnaround for the franchise is your your shining new shortstop, Francisco Lindor, who is a guy that that gets praised, that people love for being an emotional player. Uh, they say, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He he's uh, he's joyful, and he's you know when he when he's playing well. Um, and so, like, I think that's the type of guy he is. That it's going to be clear when he's frustrated. Like, I think that's a a contrast with Beltron, who um, whose criticism was always that it seemed like he didn't care enough. People said because he he body language was different. Uh, no one has ever accused Francisco Lindor of not caring enough, and so uh, now I think you see the the downside of that, or the the flip side of that, um, is that a, a player who cares a lot when he goes through something like this is going to care about it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. I think that Lindor has always derived whatever sort of leadership capacities or leadership skills he has. I think so much of that has come from his sort of his energy or his charisma or the, or the things he exudes when he's playing the kind of the joy he plays with and, and how that rubs off on teammates. And when you, when we have the season that he has or has had, um, you're just, he's, he's, he's been in sort of a funk, you know, uh, on, on the field. So all those other things are going to be tough to do. And I think he's, he's probably tried his best to, to not let it bother him, but it's, it's obviously has that's, I think we, we can kind of tell he's just not been necessarily comfortable. So I don't know if, if, if he, um, you know, can, can, can perform on the field. I think that will go a long way to, uh, having everything else will, will fall into place. Uh, and obviously it will help if the Mets, uh, win, um, first and foremost, but the, all the other things I think will, will fall into place if he can, if he can just sort of figure things out at the plate and get back to the hitter he was uh, in Cleveland. Can I ask you about booing? Yes. So I think that uh, there's a perception and, and you, you referred to it a little bit in, in your this week and Mets this, this week on, on the athletic. Um, there's definitely a perception that the booing of home players is worse 
people associate it with New York, but I would just say the Northeast in general, because I, I would say Boston and Philly home players are getting booed with some frequency too. Um, how long were you on the Royals beat? Uh, about five years. How many times in that time did you hear Royals fans boo Royals players? Um, I would say that it happened less often than uh, than New York or Philly or Boston, but it happens more often than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that oftentimes, I mean, essentially, I think you could you could say it's regional in the in terms of if you wanted to get into like this, you know, the the type of fans or just like the the culture of fans. I think a lot of it is is expectation based, right? Um, and you know, the the teams in New York and Boston have yearly expectations that are higher than than smaller markets you know and i and i'm not sure that it's necessarily that like small markets in the midwest or you know wherever else are the fans are more forgiving or friendly maybe to some degree but i I think that if you know if uh there were plenty of times where the royals were on you know a six seven eight game losing streak um and a player you know struck out with runners on base in the seventh inning of a close game and there were boots and, uh, or, you know, if there, if there was a starting pitcher who had struggled two or three starts in a row and didn't get out of the second inning, there were boots. So like, I, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, strictly just, this is how it is in, in New York or Boston or Philadelphia. Although I do think that it, I think it's fair to say it's, it's more intense, um, in, in New York and in, in the Northeast. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's like the exclusive, province or whatever of, of these places. Um, but I, I do think it's the expectations are higher and um, the stakes are a little a bit higher. And I think that lends itself to a little bit more friction, which, you know, lends itself to more booze over time. Yeah, I think that's all right. I think there is there's like probably like some cultural aspect of it, just like based on uh, how people interact with you on the street in New York City versus how people interact with you on the street in, in Kansas City, um, which I'm, I'm certain is a is a distinction you've noticed, like in Kansas City, people you don't know ask you how you're doing and they really care how you're doing, right? And and uh, obviously that's just like particular to uh, every city has like its own way that people interact with you when you pass them on the sidewalk. Uh, Kansas City, I don't think that New Yorkers are necessarily any more or less like friendly at their core than people in Kansas City. I kind of tend to think people are more or less the same everywhere, but customs are different and certainly um, booing is one that seems like more, Is am I wrong to say it's just like, generally more acceptable uh here than elsewhere yeah i mean so i yeah exactly i think that it's generally fine if fans boo and like fans are they they pay to take their free to do whatever they want and i think that oftentimes like it's totally understood you know there was a there was a Derek jeter quote uh that was pinging around twitter this morning the, the year he was hitting like under 200 you know, late into the year. And I think the Yankees weren't playing very well. And he had a quote, like, you know, I was, I would have lined up to boo myself or, you know, that's not what he said, but it was something to that effect. Um, And so I think there is a general understanding, especially when you're playing in New York, that this is, this is part of the deal. I I guess I can sort of understand, you know, like Francisco Lindor was booed before May 1st, you know, and Mm -hmm. I I think Giancarlo Stanton in his first uh, year with the Yankees had a similar kind of, trajectory in the sense that I mean, there were some boos very early in the year and I and I can sort of understand the argument that like 
okay, that's a little bit irrational, you know, like that's, that's not necessarily like warranted, like maybe give this guy like a little bit more time before we, we start booing him for not coming through in the clutch, you know, late in the game. Um, but I think that, you know, that, that aside, like that players should more or less understand that this is part of the deal and that like, there's only so many ways that fans can hold players accountable. Like they could, they could not come to a game at all and just not, you know, spend their money. They could stop watching. Um, but they're essentially, it's like the, one of their only recourses uh, to, to let players know like, Hey, like this is, this is not good enough. Um, and so I think, I think it's in general, it, it's fine. I think there are certain, I don't know. There's like anything there's degrees and nuance and like, you could argue like, well, is it, was it okay to boo in this instance or that instance? And, whatever but um but overall it's i i think it's fine yeah i'm with you i i was i don't i don't care enough about anything at this point to to boo like i i might boo an umpire i guess or or like boo a, a particularly egregious bad play or a mental error but not like seriously i don't know it feels like at this point any booing i might do in life would be like quasi-ironic. I do remember, uh, I have a very vivid memory, um, and I was able to look up the game. It was May 9th, May 19th of 2001. Um, the Mets had a relief pitcher by the name of Rick White who would kick around the majors for quite a little bit. Uh, I went to a game with my friends. I was 20 years old. Uh, we prided ourselves on on our ability to navigate Shea Stadium and, and sneak down to better seats. Uh, and in this particular game, they were losing. Uh, Kevin Apier started, and and I think he allowed like four runs. And Rick White came in, and like the 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 Dodgers just like blew the lid off. And so in the in the course of his outing, we moved ourselves down to basically like the first row above the Mets dugout. And as Rick White was coming off the field, I I booed him like loudly, and and he and I was standing right above the dugout, and he looked up at me, and we made eye contact. And like when I think about like, you know, if they say like when you die, your your life flashes through your eyes, like I'm going to see a lot of images of my kids and my family. And then I, there's going to be in there one image of Rick White looking up at me like with his he kind of looked like David Wells. He was like a big, burly, bald guy with a with a goatee. And just like I could just see it felt like I could see into his soul. And like there was just he was just so sad and lonely. It seemed, you know, walking off the field and like. I wanted to stop, and instead I just like maintained eye contact and booed even louder. And I, and I want to say that was the last time I like and like I you know in that moment it felt good. And like as soon as he escaped into the dugout, it was like I think that was sad. I think what I just did was like extremely mean to this major league baseball player. Yeah, I think there is there's like uh, I don't know. Where there's times where it feels like you can boo like a team's performance, right? Like, you know, like if the Mets are struggling and they're down seven nothing in the third inning, or and, and something's getting away from them, and like where it's, it's just like obviously that you're like that seems to me like the best time to boo, where it's just like okay, we 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 obviously see what hap was happening here. Um, I don't know. I, I think like the booing like a a guy. Again, I'm, I think I'm okay with it, but like, we're just, if we're going to be tedious about like the degrees, like, I think booing a guy who like doesn't come through in the clutch when he's like having a decent year or like somewhat decent in its baseball and like who knows what's going to happen. Or 
booing like the the bad relief pitcher who's like on the team because of injuries or some other like depth. Rick White, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not I didn't want to say that explicitly, but like I don't know if I would boo Rick White. Like it seems like, hey, you know, like he made it to the major leagues, like he 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 was successful in his own way, you know, like he beat the odds. Like we we exactly knew who Rick White was, you know, and yeah. I, I'm not sure I would do it, but Hey, you know, like I was, I was, you know, 13 or 14 once myself. So uh, I was 20 at this time. I was much <laughs> older. I would say, I would say my as a general rule. And like, again, I'm not going to boo at this point just cause I, I'm not going to be that like inflamed about anything. But uh, to me, it seems like a fair general rule would be like, you can boo a guy for a mental mistake. You can boo a guy for a mistake of laziness but if you're if you're if the guy's doing his best, like if the guy struck out against a major league pitcher, like that's just part of baseball, you know. Like I, I don't know, like it's not like Michael Conforto is not trying to get hits. It's not like Francisco Lindor is not trying to make every play. And so, like if it's something, if a guy didn't run out a, a pop up and then the it dropped in and he's out, like boo all you want because that's a mistake of of laziness that's easily correctable. Uh, if your head's not in the game and you screw up, like, sure, boo. Um, but if a guy's trying, uh, I don't know. I guess there's only so mad you could be. There's a whole other team of professional baseball players trying to defeat him. Sometimes it's going to happen. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote. Oh, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, we have a question from Tim's friend, Tom Shortell, who is uh, T. Shortell on Twitter. He wants to know, and, and I don't know, maybe you have some, some insider perspective on this. Do you think that Luis Rojas's job is any more in jeopardy now than it was before Baez had that post-game interview? Um, yes, I actually think yes, um, but not much more, um, right? Like it's a it's a data point, mm -hmm. and it may speak to a bigger question, right? Or or may illustrate a bigger question that that uh, Mets management and ownership will have to think about in the off season, which is, um, you know, like, do, do we need a, a fresh start in the clubhouse? Is there, are there, you know, is whatever, is what Lu Luis Rojas's voice is it like getting through to the room? Um, and I, I would think, you know, this may not be, I, I, I don't know that this is like some fireable offense on its own um in fact I, it's not probably uh or you know or it's something that suggests that you know there might be some huge issue and it might not but like i think if you were just like looking at it objectively it would be a data point where you would want to know a little bit more so like i don't know what the how many you know 
how much it like increases that that he might not be back next year, but like it certainly is not helpful. I would imagine. I don't know. Do you do you, do you agree or like? I think it. I think you're exactly right. I think it moves the needle a little bit. Like I, I think I think it does. It does make some difference that like this is ultimately your clubhouse that you're responsible for. And again, like the game has changed. It's not. It's not how it used to be. Like players call the shots a, a lot more, um, and everybody gets that. And and I think you know increasingly a manager is just sort of like the, uh, you know, it's it that's that's not as much a part of the job. But uh, ultimately, like this. This is what came out of of the the clubhouse that he is in charge of stewarding in whatever way, um, and it's not a it's not a good thing, and it's and it's clearly something that has uh, Mets management up in arms, and so I don't think this is like the the thing that gets him fired, but I think when they are you know whenever they're making that decision in the whether it's in the off season or if it comes to it in the season, uh, which I don't think will happen, but. Uh, I think when it comes time to to think about it, this is not something that they'll put in the in the positive category for for sure. It's definitely a, a another piece, like you said, a date. It's a data point working against him, uh, but probably not a a massive one. Yeah, and and this is this is, sounds like a very like old school baseball way to look at this sort of situation. Um, and and this is not to 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 take Luis Rojas, you know to give him an excuse or take him off the hook. He is the manager and, and the clubhouse is what it is. But if I'm, if I'm Mets management and I'm, if I'm in the front office and I'm looking at our clubhouse, I am thinking about, okay, you know, who are, who's setting the tone in this room from a player perspective and how do we potentially improve that? You know, like, you know, I, I know it's such a cliche about like veteran presidents and, and all these sorts of things. And, and I think it's been easy to sort of poke fun at the way, you know, baseball writers have always like talked about those kind of things, but they're not like nothing. And, um, and I, and I do think that it's something that in addition to, to the manager pos- uh, position that, that the, the Mets front office should be thinking about that going into 2022. I mean, you know, just like look at who the leaders are in the room. Right. I mean, uh, Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball when healthy, but that's not, what he is right like he, he sets the tone in certain ways and and like a certain excellence in the way he goes about his business but he's he's far from you know like a, a vocal leader and then you look at the other you know kind of candidates um and and you know like a lot of guys who are a little bit young kind of in their first half of their career um and then you've got some other guys that are, have been around a little bit but i don't know that there is that sort of just like veteran presence uh in the Mets clubhouse right now. And maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm uh, missing a few guys that could potentially be considered that voice or whatever in the room. But it, it, I think that's, I think it's lacking that, and, and, I, and maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe if they were better at baseball, it would be like, who cares, you know, like in like it, it, their, their problem is not better in presence. The problem is that nobody can hit, but in like, <laughs> that's also true. But uh, I don't know. It's something else to consider beyond just, Hey, do they need like a new, new manager with like a, a better, you know, or a different voice in the room. Yeah, I think it's a good point, but I think there is there is some chicken and egg to that, right? Like I think that 
if Lindor were performing and especially Michael Conforto were performing, like those are, those are, they're still young guys, but they're veteran guys at this point. And Conforto is the, the longest tenured position player. Um, you, you know, maybe they could provide more of a leadership role. Like maybe it's more difficult when you're having such a rough season in, in both of their cases. And so, um, you know, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I, I don't, I don't know, um, how the, personalities necessarily mesh it seems like they like each other they're they're like a um individual on an individual level there it's a bunch of easy guys to root for but uh who knows if if you know what what that clubhouse situation looks like rustin thank you so much for for filling in this week we're not planning on doing uh, another podcast another show this week uh as tim is remains on vacation but uh, if this situation escalates, we might. And so uh, I may be talking to you in just a couple of days. Yeah, I was about to say like, well, it, I was about to say like, well, it doesn't seem like it's going to escalate. But I, I, I was like, well, I probably couldn't say that. So we, we may be doing another podcast, who can say. I mean, Noah Syndergaard has, has COVID-19 uh, despite his vaccination, and it barely even merits a mention. That's, that's correct. So thanks, Ted. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us and, and peace out.